Ash Wednesday for me is one of the few days of the great days and seasons of the church where, uh, to me, preaching seems redundant. But the interesting thing about that is that in a lot of places in the prayer book where sermons are, are normally preached, usually the rubric, which is the direction, the little italicized direction that precedes uh, what the thing is being described, uh, says, and here a sermon may be preached. And on the Ash Wednesday liturgy, the way the rubrics in red are very clear is the gospel is read, and then it says, after the sermon, da-da, which means the sermon is uh, expected and is supposed to be here. So I think that while much of what we see and do here is self-explanatory, there might be some things that are in the readings that we hear every year that are useful to begin this great solemn and holy season. It is a privilege for me as your rector and for all of the associated clergy here to preside at these services. They are very ancient and uh, we get an enormous spiritual benefit for uh, out of doing them. Uh, as exhausting as they may be from time to time, they are wonderful. So here are the three things. Repentance, reconciliation, and clean motives. The reading from the book of Joel is from one of the minor prophets in the Hebrew Bible. And remember I've said to you before, a minor prophet doesn't mean what's contained in his prophetic book is of minor significance. It merely means that his book is little. So a major prophet is somebody with a big book, and a minor prophet is somebody with a little book. So Joel is a minor prophet, but he is at pains to tell the people that are the recipients of his prophetic voice, that they need to repent. And this is the Hebrew Bible's beginning uh, of what we will begin to see in the New Testament from John the Baptist and from the Savior about the necessity for repentance. So Joel would have used the Hebrew word, in fact does, in his prophetic book, Shub, which means to turn around completely, to look at things in a completely different way, to enter into the process of repentance. Father Thomas Keating would say about this that repentance is changing the direction that you look for your happiness. One of the things that Joel says in the midst of his rather um, intense prophetic utterance is that the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relents from punishing. And so in Old Testament terms, that may be also uh, the beginning of the idea that God's love is unconditional, that his forgiveness is unconditional, and that his acceptance is unconditional. Remember, the New Testament writers believed that in Jesus' ministry, he was announcing that embedded in their own sacred literature and in the great words and works of the prophets that had come before him, his message could be seen, now brought to fulfillment in his earthly ministry. 
And so the idea of repentance and what might attach to that about changing the direction of where we're looking for happiness is a possibility that can bring new life and transformation. So every Lent we think about the importance of repentance. The New Testament has two words for repentance, metanoia and epistrophe. Metanoia is the one preachers talk about the most because it means to uh, change your mind and to change your heart. So does epistrophe. But the difference between the two is this. Metanoia has to do with our interior states and dispositions and the decision that we make internally to change. The, the, the feeling of the necessity for change. But when epistrophe is used, it means that plus saying, here's how I put it in my hands. Here's what I do in my life relationally to make it so in concrete actions. It's not just talking the talk, but walking the walk. So Joel sets us up for the importance of turning around and looking at things in a new way and using this season for that purpose. In the reading from 2 Corinthians, we have one of my favorite lines in, uh, in, the, in the New Testament. You know, there are, there are two. The first one is looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And in the opening sentence of today's reading, I don't know why in the Revised Common Lectionary it's not there. It's in the Roman Lectionary, and it is not in our Lectionary for Lent, where it begins, Since we are, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. And so when he goes on to speak about this, he said one of the things that we are ambassadors for is the reconciling power of God and God's reconciliation. You know, when we talk about that, maybe it's important to do a little biblical scholarship and to tell you what the situation was on the ground. First of all, 2 Corinthians is between three and five letters compressed into one letter in the New Testament. So depending on the biblical scholarship that's the most compelling to you, you would say, well, uh, there are at least three letters in 2 Corinthians and there may be as many as five, which means Paul was having an active correspondence with a Christian community that I say over and over again was on the absolute bleeding edge of the dysfunctional church movement in the New Testament. And here's what's happened. Some people have showed up in Corinth in Paul's absence and they have said to the people in the Corinthian church that the gospel that Paul preached to them is not authentic and that the gospel that they're preaching is the authentic gospel and that they need to listen to them and not to Paul. And one of the things that they have said is Paul is sitting too lightly on the necessity for you to continue to practice the law and it is something you need to do. So Paul in 2 Corinthians in this part is engaged in a rather elaborate defense of his apostleship. And the reason I like it is because it speaks about the pastoral realities on the ground that haven't changed. And that is that all of us need to understand the reconciling power to God first in the idealistic sense, 
that you and I are to behave and to be and to act like reconcilers in the workplace and in our friendships and in our, rela- in our marriages and partnerships and so on. But we also need to understand that in the, within the intentional communities that we have, this reconciling power needs to take place. And further to the point, the practice of reconciliation is also internal so that you and I are engaged in the process as we live in a time of self-examination and repentance in somehow bringing some sense of internal uh, reconciliation among our own personal demons and bringing us to some sense of serenity and clarity where we're going to be more available to people because we're less distracted by those things. And so Paul is speaking about aspects of character that will help us. He would say that Christ took on our condition that we might receive his character. And one of the definitions of character is living your life according to certain principles. So reconciliation is part of the Lenten uh, experience for the individual Christian person. Perhaps no other gospel writer portrays a Jesus and emphasizes in his gospel the importance of our internal motives. And today, the Savior is talking about people's motives and the necessity to have clean motives, not corrupt motives. When I was in seminary, the theology professors and all the other people who taught us uh, would say that um, Jesus... For him, there was no disparity between thinking and acting. He was completely authentic. Most of us believe in order to get along in the world, uh, in order to do things, we have to acquire a certain species of jadedness about human relationships, and perhaps we don't replay our whole hand at once. You know, we need to be careful. Elsewhere, the Savior says you need to be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. So having your eyes open with regard to certain things certainly seems to be important. But also, there needs to be greater convergence in our lives as a community and as individuals uh, between the letter and the spirit. And so maybe this is what Jesus was talking about today uh, in his gospel. It's always interesting to me that every Lent we read from Matthew's Gospel and Jesus is going on and on condemning hypocritical behavior and uh, he condemns people who disfigure their faces uh, to show that they're, they're fasting and uh, that it's not a good thing to do. And then in a few minutes, those of you who wish are going to come up and get ashes put on your forehead. <laughs> well, if it's any comfort to you, ashes aren't a sign of fasting, they're a sign of repentance and a sign of your mortality. And while that's kind of a down, Ash Wednesday is the day of all days when we remember that um, God has set the limits of our existence and that we need to understand that and that that is part of how we understand uh, God's will and purpose for us. Father Thomas Keating would say that the Lenten uh, process of learning about clean motives focuses itself, or should, on three energy centers, 
which he calls our irrational programs for happiness, and that they center around security and survival, affection and esteem, and power and control. All of those issues are important for our ability to function, aren't they? We need to, to do what we need to do to survive, and we need to be secure, and it's important that we understand how those things are. All of us want affection and esteem, and I had somebody say to me that to some degree uh, the world revolves around strokes, good ones, right? And power and control means that you have some way of being able to uh, take responsibility for your life in the, in the affirmative side of things. But all of these energy centers have the potential for going off the rails. Imagine being a generous benefactor and then getting a band to play before you so that everybody can see what a great person you are and how generous, you know? There's a lot of character disorders in our culture with regard to uh, people's yearning to be noticed. And there is an overweening sense of security and survival, affection and esteem and power and control that has been positively destructive to our common life. And to some degree, we're living in a period now where we're reaping the benefits of a completely unchecked allowance of the energy centers to have full play both internally and corporately in this country. There is no doubt about it. So Jesus said you need to get a hold of these things and you need to have clean motives. So Lent is a time when we think about how our motives uh, can be cleaned up and what it is that we ought to do about that. So, as we go through the 40 days of Lent, remember God's unconditional acceptance, love, and forgiveness. In the midst of the severity of Joel's prophetic utterance, he refers to a God who is compassionate, who knows us by name, and wants all the best for each of us, and the best for all the intentional communities of which we are a part. We need to find, in big and small ways, what it means to be a reconciler. Not somebody who seeks peace at any price. Sometimes that's what gets confused, I think but somebody who understands what true reconciliation is, and maybe that's learning how to be a good missionary and to uh, remember what the mission of the church is, which is to restore all people to unity with God and each other in Christ. So on a daily basis, you're not called upon to know an abstruse religious vocabulary or to urge people to acquire a religious vocabulary of a particular kind but to say, you know what, we need to move always towards unity and that each human person possesses internally that spark which will enable God's unifying power to have its full play, both within them and within the intentional communities of which they're a part. So being a reconciler is important. And finally, we need to uh, look at our motives and begin to own up to things that we do that are corrupt and ask God to help us uh, remove those habits of being and relating uh, and set us on a healthier road. Amen. Amen.